Life Audio. Hey, hey, friends, it's Dana Shea. And my friends, we have with us a living legend on the podcast today. We are joined on today's show by Sheila Ray Gregoire. I love saying her name, say Gregoire. Sheila is Canadian. That's the, the reason for that name. Um, <laughs> but she's amazing. She's so amazing. We actually had her on the podcast back in 2021 when she had just released her book, uh, The Great Sex Rescue, which we also talk about in this episode today. Sheila is, first of all, bold. She's passionate about the topic of healthy sexuality and healthy teaching in marriage and in families. And so her latest book is called She Deserves Better. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see a cover of it. I'm holding it up right now. But She Deserves Better is actually a a book that she wrote or she co-wrote with her daughter and a friend of theirs. And the three of them actually wrote The Great Sex Rescue as well. But Sheila has written over 11 books. Um, Obviously, I just told you about two of them. She's also written The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. She's also written Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. And she is such a a great writer. You know, I think one of my favorite books, though, is this uh, book that she wrote called Fixed It For You. And we also talk about this in the episode where she takes these um, inaccurate teachings that are largely promoted in the evangelical church and she fixes it. She talks about how they should actually be written. And so we talk a little bit about that uh, in the show. This is such a content-rich, packed show today. And if you are a mother, I want to encourage you, especially if you have a daughter, to listen in and listen closely. This might be an episode that you want to listen to with your daughter. It's okay if she's 10, 11, 12, we're going to talk about sex and she needs to hear about it. And so if you're not a mother, if you don't have a daughter, if you're a woman, especially this episode is going to be really hopefully healing for you. I know as I've read some of Sheila's work, I've been um, just challenged in some of the things that not only I believe, but God forbid some of the stuff that I taught early on in my marriage coaching career. And so I just want to welcome Sheila right now uh, to the show. But before we bring her on, I also want to hopefully by now you have already registered for the Thrive Marriage Mastermind that is coming up in just a few short days, you all. So be sure to go on over to thrivemarriagemastermind.com and register. We're going to be together for two days, y'all. I'm doing this absolutely free. And I want to be able to give you some real practical keys to have a greater marriage, to have greater intimacy, to reconnect with your spouse. I've gotten some questions like, what if my spouse doesn't want to come? Can I come? Come. Okay, invite them to come. But if your husband or your wife doesn't want to come, you just come. All right. So this is going to be probably one of my last calls to you about this workshop. We're starting again in just a few days. So Thrive Marriage Mastermind.com. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome to the podcast our friend Sheila Ray Gregoire. You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. All right, everybody. Well, I am excited. We have a repeat guest on the show today. We have Sheila Gregard back with us. And Sheila, you were on the show back in 2021. It was episode 24, I believe. Actually, I wrote it down. Yes. Episode 24, we were talking about rethinking intimacy, redefining sex. And so um, I know that's definitely kind of in your wheelhouse. But I just want to, first of all, thank you for coming back on the show today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it doesn't seem it's been that long, but it has been, hasn't it? <laughs> I know, right? It's like after COVID, everything just sped up. You're like, that was really three years ago? Like, wow, here we are. Here we are. So I want to talk to you about so many things. First of all, I follow you on social media, of course, and I know that lately you've been doing this whole like fixed it for you uh, series, and that turned into a full book. And um, you basically take outdated, inaccurate um, sayings from people's books even in the evangelical uh, world mostly, right? And you fix it. You you say like what it should be. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, they're really fun. I get my little red pen out. I make a graphic yeah. and red pens, crossing stuff out and writing things in. Yeah. So how did that start? Were you just like reading a book one day and was like, uh-oh, or like were people sending you things? How did that actually start? Um, actually, there's a woman in Australia um, who, who fixed uh, – headlines. So if it said like, um, uh, you know, athlete charged with sex with a minor, you know, they would put rapist charged with raping child. And so she was doing this. And I thought it was such a good idea. So when our book, The Great Sex Rescue came out, um, we had just, we, we had read all of these Christian marriage and sex books. And a lot of them said such terrible things. So we started taking, you know, little sayings like, um, Everson Egrich, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have, or, you know, men mm. need physical release while women need emotional release. And so I would just take these little sentences and I would, I would cross stuff out and change them. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's so needed, Sheila, because I mean, many of us, you know, we grew up in the evangelical world. And when you're in that mix, you just take all of this stuff as gospel yeah. and you never really question it. I know I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. it's been very recent since I've actually kind of had to go back on the vault a little bit about some of the teachings that I was raised on and be like, hold on, like, is that actually the truth? Or is that some sort of man-made ideology? And so what you're doing is good work. It's really important work. Um, I do want to ask you, what it, can you, I don't know if you can recall this off the top of your head, what is maybe one of the most tragic um, sayings that you've had to fix? Oh, dear. The, uh, probably the ones about abuse. There was some from, I think it was by Jay Adams, who uh, founded biblical counseling. And when I say biblical counseling, I don't mean like counseling by people who believe the Bible. Biblical counseling is a particular branch of counseling, which says you don't use any psychology at all. You only use the Bible. And they tend to frame things as sin problems or faith problems and not through any kind of trauma or abuse lens. Mm. And he was talking about uh, a man who had sexually abused his daughter and the quote was something to do with, we need to ask the daughter's role in this and if she, and, and how, how she had enticed him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then in the same one, he also said, and uh, the wife needs to confront her own sin. And had she been withholding sex from him? My God. Yeah. And these are like best-selling authors. Yeah. I think that's the scary he, thing. He's the founder of a major counseling movement. John MacArthur, um, Master Seminary, uses a biblical counseling. Um, the Southern Baptist Church uses biblical counseling, and he's the founder of it. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. You know, and I know that that a lot of a lot of that probably is what really. Um, birth the, your newest book, which is I have right here. Um, <laughs> she Deserves Better. I've been reading through this. I'm like, I can't get enough of this. Um, she Deserves Better. And I think that, you know, I know that this book was written mostly to moms who were um, teaching their daughters. But like as a married woman, I have one daughter who's 21. Um, 
but I also just feel like women in general, whether they have a daughter or whether they are a mom themselves, like they just need this book. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about why you and you co-wrote this with your daughter and another friend of you all. So tell us a little bit about what, like where, where was the emphasis of this book? Um, why did you feel the need to write it now? Okay. So I got to go back in time to when I was here last time. We, we wrote The Great Sex Rescue and mm -hmm. we surveyed 20,000 women for that to find out what teachings common in the evangelical church actually hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And if everyone is listening, if you go on Amazon, type in Great Sex Rescue and read all the reviews, I think there's like 2000 of them now, you'll see over and over again, people saying it was so validating. It was so freeing. I feel so seen. So that was great. So we had all these women saying, I feel so seen and validated. But then they were saying, but now I have absolutely no idea what to do with my kids because mm. I don't want to give them the same toxic messaging that I received growing up. But I also don't want to say, hey, you're 14, go do whatever you want, right? So <laughs> there has to be something else. And that's what She Deserves Better is. We surveyed another 7,000 women, this time looking specifically at women's experiences in church as teenagers. So what they experienced, what messages they heard, um, how their sex ed was. And then we looked at how they did long term as adults and how that impacted them as adults. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been, it's been a wild ride. The book just came out this week as we're recording this and we've had a thousand people in our launch team. And so many have said, you know, I don't even have a daughter, but I'm just reading this for little 15 year old me. And this is what I should have been told. And it's very healing because a lot of us were taught stuff as teens that actually ended up hurting us. Right, exactly. And I mean, first of all, just the endorsements alone. I was like, oh my gosh, like a major, major endorsements that you have in this book. I really want to piggyback off of something that you just said, which was, you know, again, many of us were raised in the purity culture. If you were raised in evangelical churches, you were raised in purity culture if you're over 30, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that you said that I, I just loved is you talk about how in the evangelical church, emphasizing abstinence as the cornerstone um, of one's identity, this hyper-focusing around sex, even though no one was supposed to have it. <laughs> and that took me back to my youth group days of like, almost every message was about sexual purity and abstinence. And like, that was the overarching theme. I honestly cannot tell you that when I when I look back, I'm like, I don't know that I was really taught about spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I was really taught about self-control in other areas of my life. It was just this overarching message. And to your point, that has actually really ruined um, a lot of not only just women, but I think a lot of just sexual experiences too for women. So first of all, who are the 7,000 women that you all mm -hmm. surveyed? And... Yeah, so answer that okay. first and then so, we'll go on. Um, we did it through social media. A lot of them came from my list, but then the message just got spread. We invited people to spread it all over and we had some incentives for people to refer friends. And so it just, it kind of went all over. So they were primarily evangelicals, primarily American, probably I think. I'm not the stats person. There's another one of our other co-authors is the stats person, but a lot of Canadians and Aussies um, as well. And UK, I think a lot of Brits, um, but pr still predominantly American and predominantly evangelical women. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for my listeners who don't know, Sheila is not um, nor 
Well, yeah, you are. I was like, you're not North American. Yeah, yes, I'm you Canadian. are. I'm, you're I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. You're Canadian. How's yeah, that's like people. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> a. You got to put the a on the end of it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Like, I just want to read the whole book on the podcast right now. It's so good. Um, one of the things that you also said was, and I thought this was really important. You said most most of the traditional evangelical advice actually leads to worse marriages and sex lives for women, not better. How so? Okay, let me give you an example. When you tell girls boys can't help themselves in a makeout situation. And so you have the responsibility to stop the progression because they can't help themselves. Or when you tell girls, um, boys can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to entice it. And these are all things that we're widely taught, right? Like boys can't help it. And so you need to be super careful. You need to guard your purity. You need to be your brother's, you need, you need, you need to not be a stumbling block for your brother. What we're really telling women is that men are unsafe. Mm-hmm. You, all your dreams of intimacy, they're just pipe dreams because men are incapable of seeing you as a whole person. Every man around will always sexualize you. And that mm-hmm. is what he will want first and foremost. And that makes sex seem really dirty. Like, I think we have this mis- misunderstanding that um, Christians see sex as shameful because we don't ever want to talk about it. I don't think that's really the reason or the root for shame. I think it's that often we feel shame over sex because we feel fundamentally unsafe. Our bodies are dangerous to the men around us and they put us in danger because the men are going to objectify us. Men can't control themselves around us. And so we always need to be hypervigilant and we can never relax or rest. It also tells girls that if a guy treats you badly, that's a sign that he's a man. It's not mm. a sign that he's a predator. Mm. And so we can't even recognize when someone's a bad guy because we've been taught all men are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, immediately I thought of the whole infamous locker room talk, you know, from our greatest, one of our greatest leaders, right, uh, in this nation, our ex-president, and how in the church, oh my word, in the church at large, Nobody shunned that comment. It was like, well, I mean, yeah, like that that's just kind of how guys are. That's how men are. And I remember when I saw that clip, I thought, this is a, this is not okay. Like this is not okay, first of all, for anyone, let alone the church at large to be supporting this or at least not coming out and saying like, this is absolutely wrong. This is sexual assault before our very own eyes. And the fact that it was just swept under the rug as this is just kind of how guys are. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. And it does teach women and girls. I remember growing up, um, you know, reading this book has has just opened my eyes to so many things, Sheila, I have to tell you. (laughs) And I remember, you know, growing up, I definitely had this whole um, idea that men, not just boys, but like men were sexualizing me. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's just kind of, I never really felt safe around men. And I always attribute it to the fact that I grew up without a dad. I was like, oh, it's because I didn't really have a dad. And maybe I have some kind of like psychological, you know, thing going on. And that probably is partly true. But I think that also a part of that is because we focus so much on girls' bodies. And, you know, we went to Christian camp as many people did. And so it was at the Christian camp. Dare, you better not ever think about wearing a bikini up in there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You had to wear the one piece and shorts and a t-shirt right. because the one piece was not going to cover you enough. And so this whole idea of girls having to be responsible for the boys, 
oh, that that was just what we were taught. That was very, very common and what we're taught. So how do we undo that? I know that that's why you wrote the book, but how do we teach girls, for example, how do we teach young women who, who want to be godly? How do we teach them about modesty and how to carry themselves without then taking on that burden of taking care of the boys too? We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, the first thing that I would want people to know is that the modesty message is really harmful, and I'm going to give you the stats for it. So when girls believe things like, boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand, or a boy can't help but lust, she is now 68% more likely to marry an abuser. That's Mm. huge. She's 52% more likely to have vaginismus as an adult. And that's a sexual pain disorder where the muscles in the vaginal wall contract so that sex becomes uh, very painful, if not impossible. And 23% of evangelical women suffer from this. That's like two and a half Mm. times the rate of the general population. This is largely our issue. And a lot of it is from the modesty message. And so we simply must, for the sake of our daughters, stop talking about clothing choices choices in the same breath as we're talking about male sin. They have to be separated. They have nothing to do with one another. When we talk about them together, what we're really telling girls is that boys are unsafe and you are unsafe and your body is dangerous. And that's just not a good message. So Got to get rid of that. Then in She Deserves Better, we walk you through, like at the end of each chapter, we have um, conversation prompts, role-playing exercises, scenarios that you can walk through with your daughter to go through healthy ways to talk about this stuff. So with modesty, let's talk about how to choose what's appropriate. Let's talk about how to be kind with what we wear. Let's talk about how not to flaunt wealth, which is really what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about modesty. (laughs) So let's talk about those things, but it doesn't need to be about not causing a boy to sin. I love that. Taking them out of the same conversation because mm-hmm. they are two totally different messages. And so, yeah, that's that's good. That's re- I hope that people got that. 
Um, I want to like kind of hard transition over to one of the my favorite things that I like to talk about, which is the whole uh, message of submission mm-hmm. in marriage. We have a lot of uh, Christian listeners. And of course, there are many listeners who are not believers, who are not uh, that they don't carry the same faith. But I think that a lot of Christian women, most of them were raised in the whole like submission era where you just submit because he's the man. Mm-hmm. What? And I know this is a loaded question, but I know your views because I've read your books. <laughs> but <laughs> for those who may not have read your books, what is your view of godly submission? Okay. Well, again, I'm the data person. So we do all these huge studies. And let me tell you what the data says. So the majority of women that we have surveyed do believe that the husband has some sort of authority and that the woman should submit to the husband and the husband should make the final decisions. However, the vast majority of people who believe that do not practice it. Mm. Most people who believe that they just act as partners and they make decisions together. And it's very healthy. As soon as you practice it, as soon as he makes the final decision, even if he consults with her first, the divorce rate goes up 7.4 times. Wow. Okay. And this is really, and and seriously, like 80% of people who say that they believe in male headship do not practice it. So the people who say they believe it and have good marriages, they're probably not practicing what they believe. And what we're saying, and she deserves better, because we bring this up in this book too, is that a lot of parents are teaching their daughters that you need to submit to your husband, but that's not actually what they practice. Like they have a good, healthy marriage where they're partners. And what would happen if your daughter grows up and actually practices that? You might be raising your daughter to listen to your words rather than following your actions, and you might be getting her into trouble. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like godly submission is mutual. It is. Ephesians 5.21, we are to submit to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Jesus says in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, that we're not supposed to be worried about power and authority. The whole point of life is to serve one another. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's right. And that's the attitude that we should have. Any power that we have in any way, whether it's from wealth or gender or race or anything, we should be laying that power down to serve other people. Right. I think those who are fighting for the whole submission message, whether they are males or females, are also using that same Ephesians 5 passage where it talks about, you know, women are to respect their husbands and then husbands are to love their wives. And the way that I teach it, at least, you know, with the couples that I coach, is that they're not uh, binary. Mm-hmm. You know, does that mean that the, the wife is not supposed to love her husband, that she's only to respect her husband? Does that mean that the husband then is not to respect his wife? So I think that it's worked for misogynistic purposes. It's worked for certain people's purposes. I don't really know, I guess, to keep people in line, keep women in line. Um but I think this is not necessarily popular teaching. It's becoming more wide, wide uh, spread, I think, with younger Christians. But, you know, with, with more traditional older Christians that are still teaching this, I think it is interesting that you said 80% of them aren't actually practicing what they preach. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have any hard set data. You know, I haven't done the research, but I mean, I trust, obviously I trust your research, but I just think of the couples that I know personally mm-hmm. who are teaching this and don't do it. Yeah. They don't live this way. Because most people just want to be decent people and they love right. their spouse and they 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 do good things out of that love. We're not trying to have a power dynamic in marriage because power, as soon as you have power dynamic, you lose intimacy. Mm. 
And so it's so important with our daughters that we don't teach them and we don't tell them or set them up to be under someone else. And that is what we have often taught our daughters is you need to defer to the boys. Like, here's a funny one. Um, have you ever heard the girls talk too much or the women yes. talk too much? Yes, 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 I have that actually highlighted. I wanted to talk to you about okay, that. Because I think, I, well, I laugh about this because if you don't laugh, you'd cry. Okay. Because right. it's just so outrageous. But um, girls talk too much. That's an idea. It's in Shanti Felton's book for young women only. She tells girls that the girls talk too much. It was in Focus on the Family's Brio magazine, which went out to teen girls for 15 years over and over again. It talked about how girls talk too much. Um, James Dobson in 1983, in his book, Love for a Lifetime, he said that women talk 25,000 words a day, whereas men only talk 12,000. Or maybe it was Gary Smalley continued it. He said 50,000 and 25,000. Like the numbers kept changing, but the idea always was that women spoke about twice as many words a day as men. And this was taken to say, so women, when he gets home from work, he's done all of his words and you haven't, and your temptation is going to be to talk at him, but just be quiet. Just mm-hmm. be quiet. And this was, this was the constant refrain. Women, just be quiet. So we measured it. We asked, we asked women, when you were a teenager, did you believe girls talk too much? Okay. And if they did, their self-esteem went way down. Their chance of marrying an abuser went way up. Mm-hmm. Even this is, this is a funny one. If they got married and they both worked outside the home, she was way more likely to do way more housework than he he does. Like do mm-hmm. all the housework, even if they're both working. Because if you believe the girls talk too much, what you're essentially saying is my words don't matter as much. You should have preeminence. I am taking up too much space. Okay. Mm. Now, what if girls actually do talk too much? Right? Like what if, what if it is true that women talk way more than men? So scientists looked at it because they kept seeing all these claims coming up in all these books and magazine articles. So they actually measured it. And there's been a number of studies and a number of meta analyses of this. And guess what? Statistically, men and women speak the same number of words a day. Wow. Now, obviously you could have variance between individuals, but as mm-hmm. a whole, women do not speak more than men do. Mm. And in fact, when you're in a mixed group of both men and women, women don't speak enough. Wow. And and so we need to give our girls a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where the origin of that came from? Because I, for sure, I've probably even used that in my earlier coaching days. Oh, I did. You know, I I did. I totally did. And we were speaking at marriage conferences. That was part of our curriculum, for sure. Um, As far as they can see, and I've, I've looked at a number of articles that have tried to trace it. It was James Dobson in 1983. He just made it up. I don't know. Literally just made it up. Nobody can find any citations for any of this. Oh my gosh. But because he's an expert, we've just been repeating it all these years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now I definitely talk way more than my husband. (laughs) And I think that, you know, it is, it's a case by case. I think it is time we're making generalizations, like even a generalization that men want sex more than women. Not all the time. Nope. There's lots of women who are very unfulfilled in their marriage life because they want more sex than their husband and their husbands are not pleasing them. Women not having orgasms. You write about that a little bit in this book for sure in The Great Sex Rescue, you know, about how women, um, and I think it's a sad thing that women are not 
taught really for sure not as kids and as young women about their their reproductive organs how they work what brings them pleasure what female orgasms are i think you talked about i don't know if it was your story or rebecca's story um that you talked about um the first time that you'd ever heard of like female orgasms you were like an adult there was a part um, it in the book. Us, but yeah we were we were we did interview a number of women and that was true like it was okay. uh, i think it was like 30 percent of women didn't know about female orgasms until age 20 or older. Yeah. Like they didn't know that it was a thing. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, so then when you get married and I've had conversations with many women who, uh, one in particular, who also grew up just like me in the purity culture and, you know, did the right thing. I had a child when I got married. So, you know, I jumped the gun a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but this particular girl was, you know, quote, pure on her wedding day. And, and she talks about how difficult it was. I think you and I maybe even talked about this the last time you were on the show, but she talks about how difficult it was when it got time to have sex because she had no understanding, mm -hmm. no teaching, no grid. What am I supposed to do? And I'm like, that's traumatic. That yeah. really is very traumatic. Now, obviously she loves her husband. She trusts him. They're, they're fine now, mm -hmm. but there was a big, huge learning curve because, and you write about this in this book that we as evangelical Christians have been taught that to teach about sex will somehow make people want to have sex or make them at least more aware or, or, or want to, uh, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but it's basically they, they will be more drawn to it if mm -hmm. we instruct about it. Yeah. What do you what do you want to say about that, Sheila, as far as like, I know that there are parents who are listening that are like, first of all, this is not the most comfortable conversation, right, mm -hmm. for us to have with our kids. I mean, just being real, I have three boys and a girl. I don't love these conversations. But I'm like, if I don't talk about it, who's going to talk about it? Yeah. You know, the world? No, we're not going to do that. So I remember this time, my my, uh, my youngest was 14. And she came home from summer camp. And she was like, Oh, mom, the sex talk was so bad. You need to do it next year. Because they didn't even talk about oral sex. And like, that's mm -hmm. what all my friends are having. They don't even realize, oh, that still counts. And I'm looking, yeah. I'm listening to this. And I'm trying to keep keep my face like normal. But I was freaking out inside because I didn't know that my baby, my little baby knew what oral sex was. And in retrospect, I realized I should have been talking to her about this earlier. But it's like, you don't want to tell her because it feels like as soon as you tell them what oral sex is or masturbation or porn, that you've now sexualized your kids. And that's not true. It just isn't. What we found in our survey is that more information, there is no downside. The more information people have, there are only upsides. So we gave women um, a set of 10 words and we said, how many of these words could you name at high school graduation? The more words that they knew, the higher the self-esteem, less likely to marry an abuser, less likely to have multiple sex partners, you know, more mm. likely to even do the things that we want them to do, right? Um, and so more information is not a bad thing ever. And interestingly, just as an aside, women were more likely to know the words for male anatomy than they were for female anatomy. So they were they were more likely to know scrotum than vulva or clitoris. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So why is that? I think we just don't talk about women's body parts. I think we we just we're ashamed of it, maybe. I don't even know. Um, but and maybe we talk about men's body parts more in the media. And so they they picked it up from there. But I found that really fascinating that women were more familiar with men's, with men terms, male terms than, than female ones. And that's, that's sad because, you know, if our girls don't know the words and if they don't know that things like oral sex are a thing, um, 
they're more likely to be abused. I had a woman write to me just this week who had read She Deserves Better. And she was commenting specifically on that. And she said, because my parents didn't tell me certain terms, like about oral sex, or about, um, you know, manual stimulation, hand jobs, whatever. She said, when she was abused, she thought this was something that only she had ever done. Mm. And she didn't realize this was something other people had done. And so she didn't know even how to describe it or how to tell it. Wow. But if she had known, no, this is a thing, then she could have said, hey, I don't think this is right. Yeah. And so it's very protective of our kids when we can give them more information. No, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. I think, you know, there's going to be different um, levels of parenting, obviously, on the listeners who are listening to this today. And I think if if there's a, a message, I think I hope that they're getting is what you just said, that more information is actually loving your kid mm-hmm. to throw your child in a world that is hypersexualized and that is not honoring of God for the most part and just expect them to know how to navigate that is not love. And it, like I said, it is uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It's not my favorite topic to have at the dinner table, but we have to be able to talk about it. And not only do we have to be able to talk about it with our kids, but I think that we need to normalize sexual conversations, even in marriage. Like there's a lot of married couples who never talk about sex. Everything's in the dark. There's no conversation around it. There's no, uh, how was that? Is this, does this feel good to you? What do you like? What do you not like? Do you want to try this? Do you want to try that? Like, there's just no communication around it. It's like so secretive and so shameful. And, um, I think that that is largely, you know, part of the purity culture that we grew up in. But, um, I think that there's also shame in other areas, you know, that, that are contributing to that. So in a perfect world, Sheila, if you could prescribe how, we should have sexual conversations in our homes. What would you say? The big thing is just remember, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to keep doing it. Like I was not perfect. When my girls and I laugh at how I messed up talking talking to them about sex and puberty when they were 10, 11, 12. But by the time they were 16, 17, we were doing pretty well because we just kept (laughs) talking. And that's the big thing. It's okay to be awkward. But your kids would still rather hear it from you. And even Mm -hmm. if you mess up and you say something dumb, you can always come to them the next week and say, you know what? I'm afraid that I made something sound really, really shameful. And I didn't mean to make it sound that way. I was just feeling awkward. So let me just say this. And you can say it and it's fine. So I just want parents to not feel like they have to do it perfectly or their kids are going to mess up. Perfection is not the goal. Just having those open conversations is the goal. And if I could say one piece of information that kids need to understand, um, It's the concept of arousal non-concordance. This is so key. We talk about this in our consent chapter. But arousal non-concordance is when your brain and your body aren't meeting up. So let's say your body is aroused, but your brain does not want what's going on. And sometimes in marriage, it can actually be flipped where like you you totally want to get turned on and your body's just not cooperating. So that's another story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I, it's very important for kids to know that just because your body is turned on, that doesn't mean that you want what is happening. This is really important when it comes to conversations about pornography, because often kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 will see porn and they'll get really grossed out, but at the same time, they'll get an erection or they'll, they'll get aroused. And so they'll think, I like this. Therefore, I must be a freak. Therefore, I must be a pervert or I must like this. No, this stuff is just designed to get you aroused. It doesn't mean that you like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And it's okay to just say no to it from now on. 
also so important in a sexual assault situation because Mm -hmm. so many girls, especially think that they consented because they were turned on and boys can be like that too. You know, a boy gets an erection and he thinks, well, therefore I must have consented. Mm -hmm. No arousal does not equal consent. And if you did not say yes, then you did not consent. And I think that that's so important for kids to know, even if it's not for them so they can tell friends because all of our kids are going to know people going to have friends who are being assaulted and abused. And, Mm -hmm. and we need to let them give those good messages. That's so important, Sheila. That's so important. Well, you've written 11 books. (laughs) I know it's a lot. Which one? That's a lot. You've been doing a lot of writing. Which is, which is your favorite one? Oh gosh. The great sex rescue, or I really like she deserves better. The new one. I, I just, I really like it. It's, it was fun. It was, it was a labor of love because all of us writing it have daughters. I think great sex rescue is so important for married couples, um, or just a single person who wants to get a healthy view of sex. So yeah. And they're, and they're both based on real research, you know? So I, I think that's what makes it different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you. I love reading your stuff. I love how bold you are. I'm sure that, well, let me ask, I don't want to assume, have you gotten kickback oh, from yeah. some of the people that you've come back? Yeah. 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 yeah we've had four yeah. lawsuit threats, which I think is hilarious oh because all I ever do is quote people. Like you can't sue me for quoting you. <laughs> like, right. Like you wrote this. Oh my gosh. Well, no, keep doing what you're doing because I'm telling you, people need to know people who have just kind of blindly been reading these books and following these people and taking their advice for face value, not ever really thinking about it or challenging it themselves, like you're shining the light on that. So um, I hope that you keep doing what you're doing. And I love your stuff. I mean, I just can't get enough of like, I love how your this book is very, um, there's tons of research, there's tons of stats, but the way that you three write, it doesn't feel like research heavy it still feels like a conversational book. And so I really do appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, we'll link to the book in the show notes of this podcast and people can find out all about you. You're still doing your podcast, right? Bear Marriage? Yes, Bear Marriage every Thursday. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, we'll link to that. So thank you, Sheila. It's always a privilege and a blessing talking to you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. I just love talking to her. Sheila is so fun and easy to talk to, and she's super knowledgeable. You know, I'm super passionate about marriages and healthy relationships and healthy sexuality. So whenever I meet someone that's just as passionate, if not more, and she's probably more passionate, um, it's just such a treat for me. So thanks again, Sheila, for being on our guest today. And again, as I stated in the show, I will link to her books and other resources in the show notes of this podcast, which you can find at realrelationshiptalk.com com forward slash episode 141, episode 141. So um, again, last call, Thrive Marriage Mastermind. We are waiting for you to register. We are going to be together for two days. We are going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about intimacy. We're going to be talking about communication. We're going to be talking about commitment. We're going to be talking about connection, reconnection, trust. It's all there. I'm going to jam pack as much as I can in two days. We're going to be together for about two and a half hours each day. You are not going to want to miss it, friends. So be sure to register, reserve your spot today at thrivemarriagemastermind.com. Well, as we end every episode in saying a good relationship is not one that works. A good relationship is one where you put in the work. Let's get to work, my friends. I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. 
Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.